sums up the year. Big chance, Barisha! He's done it again! And it's a goal! Unbelievable! What about this? Dylan Piraeus, his first touch of the game. Sanchez! Western United do claim the three points. And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Twice! He's chipped a keeper! Presented by Simmons. It's the Green Room on FNR. Football Nation Radio. Welcome along to the Green Room here on FNR Football Nation Radio, the official Western United club show presented by Simmons Homes, the great Australian builder. But this week, myself, Josh and Lockie, we're doing it all for Food Bank. It's a food relief round on Sunday as Western United take on the Western Sydney Wanderers. And we're delighted to be joined by Melbourne radio personality, legend, <laughs> legendary Fox FM announcer. It's really an honour to have him here in the FNR studio, slumming it with us, turned Chief Communications Officer for Food Bank. Matt Tilly, welcome to FNR and welcome to the Green Room. Thank you for being able to read my auspicious introduction there. I thought my handwriting might be a bit scrawly, but um, I'm happy. What did you call me? Radio what? I think you're radio royalty. I'm not sure what oh, you should know. You wrote it for us. <laughs> <laughs> I have different ones for different shows. <laughs> no, it's lovely to be here. It's a great honour. We're so grateful that obviously um, Western United and you guys are getting right behind us this round. It feels very comfortable being back in a radio studio. It feels very uncomfortable not being paid for it, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're very excited about this round and we, we want to try and make a, a lot of noise about it, partly because, obviously, a win this weekend, we jump ahead and we're well and truly on top. And that's a fair way into the season. But also because Western United have been mm. fantastic. They've really, they, you know, they've sought us out. And it's important to them to be a part of community. And we love being a part of them. And plus purple, green and black. They work really well together. I want to start with you, though. Mm? What on earth possessed you to leave the glitz and glamour of commercial radio behind and uh, go into a cause such as this? It's part of my parole conditions, <laughs> first and foremost. <laughs> Just a couple of years giving back to the community. Oh, so that's what the guy outside is doing. That makes sense. <laughs> that's right. And that's, that, that's not a bracelet around my ankle. Um, no, I uh, look, it's a, it's a complicated journey. I don't want to bore people with it. But I, look, during my time in radio, we, we found lots of different ways to raise money for charities. And I used to do these prank phone calls and all the profits from those CDs went to charities. And so I met a lot of people in the charity world. And Food Bank were, well, they're an organisation that was clever enough to disguise a boys cycling weekend as a charity event. And so I got dragged along to that and met the CEO, Dave, and we really clicked and he didn't know that I'd been quietly studying away business governance in not-for-profits and stuff, so I'd sort of had a, an eye on wanting to end up there one day. I just thought if I get really rich one day, I'll retire and do that and it all worked except for the really rich part. <laughs> uh, but I'm a big believer in karma and I, I, I want to have a nice, you know, afterlife. It's, um, but it's an incredible organisation. I mean, you go in there... And it's in Yarraville. It's just under the Westgate Bridge. And most people think, oh, it'll just be a little warehouse with a roller door. It's like two or three Bunning stores big, our warehouse. It's enormous. And B-double trucks roll through all day, every day, dropping food off, collecting it, delivering it to 550 charities from Mildura to Mallacoota. Some radio habits never leave like alliteration. (laughs) I'm sure you'll get some puns soon too. So it's great. I love it. Why is this cause really close to your heart? What caught you i mean you've, you've done so many charitable causes over the years you've come into contact with so many different worthy causes for your time why does this one resonate so much look sadly i'm a really tragic competitive vegetable grower right <laughs> and it's not something i talk about a lot 
Uh, and I, I guess because I knew Dave and stuff, but I liked the idea of going out and meeting growers and producers and being able to get their excess. And you know how we don't like a banana that's not bent right or a potato that's the wrong shape. And I sort of was always intrigued by what could be done with that stuff. Mm. Um, but I'm not a warrior. I'm not a huge food campaigner or anything like that. It just makes sense to me. I think homelessness, the right to eat, you know, the need for shelter, um, the need for support, support for people with mental health issues. Like they're just sort of some of the basics. They're all important. I don't see them one as any more important than the other. It's just this one had the best title on offer. Mm. Chief well, Communications Officer, you don't walk away from that. It sounds like a military title. You it's, get your own business a, cards yeah, as well. I was going to say. <laughs> you know, I've still got the 200 in a box because I keep forgetting to use them. So we had a, the, I had would have a fa- taken one. We had a fantastic function. Uh, there was like a business network Western United did during the week. It was great out there at the hangar at Essendon and everyone was handing their, their business cards. I'm like, oh, I've got some back at work. Can I, you just wait a couple of minutes? Yeah, I've got to head back up the road. Yeah, I usually get them to get bits of steak out of my teeth, but I, I guess this is what you really use them for, right? <laughs> well, other than the business cards, how has the experience of, of being involved with the, the charity been over the last few years? Because it feels like you know, present events taken taken into a account never really been a more important time for this charity to be doing the work that it does you're right but it's also created great opportunity and that's look that's when i started there dave pulled me aside i said mate i think this thing's going to be pretty big or like we might even have to wear masks <laughs> maybe um and he said i think that will be an, an opportunity for us he actually quoted winston churchill who said never waste a good crisis if you can make change so, uh, and it has been enormous. And we've been able to do all kinds of things. We set up a pop-up store for international students when they, of course, were abandoned. They didn't get any help. They were stuck here. They couldn't go to school. Mm. All their traditional jobs like cleaning and hospo and all that sort of stuff shut down. And we had, in the end, it was to start as an idea at a little shop in La Trobe. So we had 60,000 students through. So yeah. we wouldn't be able to try new things like that. And so that's a plan we're going to roll out across Victoria now. We wouldn't be able to try that if it wasn't for COVID and there wasn't that sense of urgency. And the community has been amazing. The support's been phenomenal. And a lot of people, I mean, I love being able to say this, but a lot of people ring up and go, you know, COVID's actually been pretty good for us. I don't like to say it too loud, but, you know, we're this business or we're that business or Mm. we're online and it's gone crazy. But we know how hard people are doing it. We just want to support you guys and financial donations and opportunities. So. It has been a really busy and interesting and amazing time. And, I mean, we opened our warehouse last year for a couple of drives through You know, when those lockdowns were really serious and a lot mm. of people just couldn't get out, mm. didn't have family or friends for food. And we had cars backed up from our warehouse up over the Westgate Bridge, about three and a half kilometres, and the police ended up having to shut it down. I remember seeing the safety. stories at the it time. It was huge. Yeah. We had TV choppers above us and... I was getting Nam flashbacks. No, I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, and but in that moment, there's there is a sense of exhilaration and being able to help. But it's also really hard to deal with when you're seeing people drive through, mm. living in their cars, mums with two kids in the back, and you're thinking there's blankets and stuff in here because you're finding somewhere to sleep and you don't have any food. And everyone we see is so grateful. It's mm. just the best. Like it really is quite uplifting, and you get a bit teary and stuff because they just can't believe that you've got that for them and I'm kind of like well I'm handing it to you but there's a whole chain of people behind me in the community who donates who've been able to do this well it's I think it's amazing how generous people can be once they're made aware of the scale of the problem yeah. and I noticed you brought in a very pretty infographic there so oh, why, only why don't because, you rattle off some only stats? because I had it printed and I've got to justify the cost <laughs> Well, every year we do this thing called the hunger report which is to actually put some you know facts around it um, and 
you know, it's been extraordinary. COVID has just really blasted everything off mm. the radar. And we saw early on in COVID, like the number of people requiring food relief went up by about 47%, right? So that's enormous. At the same time, a lot of charities were closing because of lockdowns and COVID restrictions and a lot of their volunteers are elderly. So they just seeped away and holed up in their houses. So it was really a critical time. But I think the thing that really hit home was, so 31% of, of the people who were reaching out during COVID had never had to ask for food before. And some of them were saying, we used to donate to you guys just a couple of years ago. We never thought we'd be at your doorstep. And we used mm-hmm. to hear that a lot. And, and we even, so now on the latest Hunger Report, we're, we're feeding around, I'm going to read the stat here, 296,800 people a month. A month? Yes. I was expecting a year at the end of that sentence. Nope. Uh, and, you know, that's not every day, but no. that's how many people are accessing us each month, sometimes 296 and 802, sometimes 798. We round it out. But it is, um, you know, they're phenomenal numbers. And when you, st- you know, our school breakfast program goes into a 1,000 of the 1,500 government schools. So two-thirds of them have kids who have on other days and before our program arrived been told by parents, you know, if you're hungry, eat a tissue or something. That'll stop your tummy rumbling. Mm. How's that for heartbreaking? And then you think, no wonder kids act up in class and people throw things around like ADD and coming from bad families. They're just hungry. You know how you can't concentrate when you're hungry. So to have things like that, that we can turn around where they get fresh fruit and cereal and milk all grown and produced in Victoria, that's that's fantastic to know. But not many people know about it. Yeah, I mean, and to go back to what you said earlier about how certain people coming to food bank in need of support Mm. in the past couple of years have been people previously who donated it's not necessarily and i'll admit myself to to being guilty of this that sometimes in australia it's not necessarily shortage of food is not always something that you think about and one in six um adult australians being Mm. you know not having adequate levels um is the the figure that i read is astounding it's it's astounding and what we found in COVID is is like mental illness and depression Hunger now, or I don't like using the word hunger because we tend to think about how we feel at three o'clock or what happens in Africa, but Mm. the need for food relief or families doing it tough or who can't feed their kids, it's indiscriminate now because, you know, if your business shuts down for three months, you know, and you just run a restaurant and you're going, all right, it's the cash flow. And if you can't buy food, you can't buy food. And everybody saw what happened with the panic buying. Just Mm. for a minute there, we're all like, there's no pasta on the shelves here. What are we going to, what are we going to eat? And I... I think a lot of people have responded emotionally and gone, okay, I get it now. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know there was that many people who are like that day to day, month to month. It's uh, amazing when, you know, you've been insulated from that all your life and then mm. the panic suddenly mm. sets and it's, in. And it's something that's still going on now, even as we come towards this phase where we feel more, certain people feel more comfortable at, about everything. There are still those sort of shortages on oh, everyday 100%. So this year has been a real challenge for us because of the, the different type of lockdowns and isolation with Omicron, farmers don't want to pull stuff out of the ground because there's no drivers to deliver it to the supermarket. So for the first time ever this year, we were spending over $20,000 a week on fresh fruit and veg ourselves, which we can get about $90,000 worth just through our connections and because we don't take the premium stuff the supermarkets do. Mm-hmm. We've never had to do that. It's always been donated down the chain, but there was just nothing left. It just wasn't coming from the farms. There were no drivers. There was no people at distribution centres. And so we're like, okay, we're in the game now too. Where does Western United come into all this and the recovery of the West and, and Melbourne as a whole? Well, we're hoping that they finish last, have to sell their grounds and we can grow some corn and stuff on the soccer field. <laughs> <laughs> That's the long, long play. No, 
They, they've come to us because I think they are so grounded in community and because we're out west, so are they. But they also have bigger feelings and grander plans and I, re- I really like it. It's, it's a franchise that's grown from the ground up. It just hasn't been handed to someone rich as a plaything and they are 100%. We're, we're really impressed and, and really proud to be a part of this organisation because they, they get in and they get involved. We've got the game this weekend and it's not just we're not just on the scoreboard with a website. There's heaps going on. The players are involved. We had our big new double length piano accordion style bus, mini mobile supermarket out the ground. Well, I wanted to ask about that to, because you know we've seen the buy-in from the players. We've got you know a number of ambassadors, Ryan Scott, Leo mm-hmm. Lacroix, and Alyssa Deloste, who will be joining us later. But we saw some photos of them in and around this bus. I, I need to know more because we know about the big warehouses, the B doubles. Apparently, this this bus. The food bank bus is is a sight to behold. This is my Keanu Reeves fantasy. <laughs> well, it just goes to show you how how companies thought differently during COVID. And the story of these, we've got two of them now, and they're called articulated buses. You would have seen them with the piano accordion bit in oh, the yeah. middle. And I've they, ridden them even. Yeah, and they sort of they're the ones that sort of go half over roundabouts because they're just so big <laughs> and elongated. <laughs> so Skybus, of course, didn't have many travellers to pick up during COVID. Uh, apart from taking people to the quarantine hotels. Not many drivers volunteering for that shift. And uh, we had always had the idea of a bus and I happen to know that, well, the CEO of Skybus, one of them, Mike uh, Seward's massive soccer man, big Liverpool man, he is a great friend of Food Bank and they'd supported us before and I said, have you got a bus? We'd love to just do a little pantry. And, and two. Well, he turned up, he said, have we got a bus? And him and the co-CEO, Adam... <laughs> He said, just, you'll hear us honking the horn on Wednesday. <laughs> Open your roller door. And we walked outside and it was this thing. It just kept going. It was like stretched out onto the road. And they're like, we've got another one. And so they, the, the engineering firm Volgren fitted it out, put shelves in, fridges, freezers, generators. And it's massive. It's, it's literally a supermarket on wheels. So how can people get involved if they're coming down to the game on Sunday? I understand there's kicks at the crossbar going on for people who yeah, don't Yeah, I think know. there's a little bit going on at halftime. That's what I've heard. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll, I'll be up, you know, hobdobbing at the chairman's president's mm-hmm. function. We'll be auctioning stuff there, of course, trying to squeeze the corporate dollar. But, uh, you know, people can come along. They can get a sense of what we do. And, I mean, really for us, it's, it's about donations. I know that sounds rude, but here's the thing. Here's what I can promise you. Every dollar donated, two meals created. So you donate mm-hmm. 50 bucks, that's 100 meals. That's a couple of families being fed for a week. That's a pretty good feeling. So you can accomplish that via the supply chains you have access to and the That's kind of metrics. economy of scale that exactly you're dealing right. with. Exactly right. To- Obviously, we need to distrib- distribute it and pack it and sort it out and stuff, but the- balancing up the stuff that comes for free with the costs that we incur, even just like electricity and all those sort of things we have to pay for, that's our metric. Mm. And we've, we've squared it away and we reckon it's pretty good. So... Um, financial donations are the, the best and yep. most direct yep. way you can help. If you want to come and volunteer, you can jump on our website, foodbank.org.au. Um, you don't have to just hand cash. We find now lots of people go, you know what, for my bar mitzvah, don't buy me any presents, donate to Food Bank. There's a million things you can do. People are a lot smarter than me. They know <laughs> how to make money. 
Well, we hope you get plenty of exposure on the weekend. Uh, mm. But the greatest coup, I think, was uh, was pre-show when you turned uh, myself and Lockie into walking billboards. Yeah, you've got the tattoos on Shall there, boys. Shall we reveal them to the cameras? I've got my exposing a little bit too branded. much of my own flesh here. But um, this is going to look bad when I go to get my booster and they just hit the big <laughs> advertisement for food bank. Oh, That'd be a good thing, great. actually. I think you've got better arms than me. <laughs> I've got, like, spaghetti arms, so they don't really count. But, um, yeah, we're hoping some, we were hoping some of the players would have them on, but most of them have already got stuff that's already been rented out. Yeah, to, I don't think there's any free space. Space yeah. available Not in a lot of Andrew Diamante anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so unless they wear it on their forehead, but then that I don't know, that might affect headers, I uh, reckon. I offered Lucy beforehand to put it on my noggin, but she, she said no. No interest. Oh, well, I can't help you guys. And they only last a couple of days. Well, everyone get along to the match on Sunday and get along to the website, foodbank.org.au. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. Thank you for having us and thank you for getting behind... Us, it's, we really appreciate it. Thank you for coming in and joining us. Pleasure, lads. See ya. Matt Tilly, Food Bank, get on it. It's the food relief round this weekend for Western United. We're going to have Chris Pelavanis and Alyssa Daloste on interview. after the break. A double bill coming up, so don't you dare go anywhere. Western United, can they find something here? Big chance, Barisha! He's done it again! And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Twice! He's chipped a keeper! Presented by Simmons. It's the Green Room on FNR. Football Nation Radio. Presented by Simmons Homes, the great Australian builder. It is the Green Room here on FNR Football Nation Radio, the official Western United club show. And we're delighted to have a double bill here in the studio... We're so packed with guests today, we've bumped Lockie off camera. (laughs) The direct request from Chris. (laughs) Move this guy out of the way. I just wanted to share the studio with Alyssa. One of our (laughs) rising talents in the women's space. So I thought, why don't don't we do it together? Well, uh, I'm sure Lockie won't take his demotion too hard. If you hear a disembodied voice, that's him off screen. Disgruntled murmurings over here. (laughs) Might be me. But uh, we do have the CEO in-house today. We've had him on a couple of times this season on on Zoom. But Chris Pelavanis, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me in the studio again and uh, really excited to be here. And making her green room debut, Colder United goalkeeper, Alyssa Daloste, or Dallastair. Dallastair. I will try and get that right for the rest of the interview. <laughs> okay. Thanks for having me. Uh, delighted to have you join us. Uh, 2018 MPLW Goalkeeper of the Year, is that right? That is correct, yes. And now you're uh, playing with Colder United and training with the development squad uh, with the women at Western United. Yep. Tell us a little bit about you, your career progression, and uh, how you got to this point. Um, so I've been playing football probably since I could walk, to be honest, kicking anything I could. <laughs> um, I started with an actual team when I was about six, playing indoor, just on the field. Nothing, didn't go in goals until I was about 10. Um, and then we didn't have a goalkeeper a game, and so they just put me in there, and I, I loved it. I stayed there. It's been, what, 10 years now? It's and yeah. funny how goalkeepers sort of fall into it sometimes. You just get thrown in there, and you're like, if you like it, you like it. If not... <laughs> They say you have to be a little bit crazy. Is that true? I've heard that too. <laughs> is it true though with you? Uh, Only when the mics are off. Yeah. <laughs> Not on camera. I don't know about crazy, but uh, I think you have to be a little bit fearless to want to get yourself in the way of 
flying projectiles. Yeah, hundred percent. What do you enjoy about goalkeeping? Can you can you distill it down as to um, what the what the joy is in the in the position? I like this. It's very high stress. I know that sounds a bit crazy, so that probably. Uh, yeah, I think Chris uh, is right. She's, she's nuts. Uh, yeah, um, but yeah, the high pressure and I know you just have to you just have to know if you like it or not. There's mm. not really mm-hmm. anything to it. So you were at Box Hill. You went to Calder. It's sort of like being signed by Manchester United or something in yeah, really. MPLW terms. They're the, the dominant side. Uh, what is different about that setup compared to the rest of the league? Because so much success there. The quality of the players is obviously really high, but it's also a female-focused club, which is pretty unique in the in the in the Victorian scheme of things. What's it like playing in that environment? I think that definitely plays a part in like the accolades that we've achieved. Playing for a club that isn't female-focused, you know, the support that we get from Calder and the committee and the coaches is is second to none. I haven't experienced that anywhere else. So, I think that yeah. Has that helped your development playing in that environment where everything's geared towards the women, all the coaching, all the support, everyone's focused on the women's team and their results and their development? Yeah, 100%. There's, there's, there's been stages where I've played at clubs and had to fight for pitch space or mm. club space or even physio sometimes. So even just not having that just keeps the, the spirits high. Absolutely. I was going to say, Josh... Pick the Manchester United fan in this room trying to equate Calder, the best team in the MPLW, to being <laughs> That's a good one to Manchester United. You've got to update your references, <laughs> yeah, Josh. Yeah, my, my frame of reference is still in the early 2000s, I think. It was right. more like it's being signed by Manchester. Look, City, if I, I was suppose. a Manchester United fan, I'd probably do the same thing. I'd, let's not bring up the team that I support. We're going a long way back for the success, uh, Arsenal, if everyone must know. I know it's embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassing. But um, Alyssa... The fortunes of Calder have been a long, long way from from that we see of my club Arsenal uh, in in recent years, and and you know throughout that all, um, you know, the man in charge of the team has been Mark Torcaso. What's the experience been like of of working with Mark, and you know how do you find his style of coaching and how it works with your crazy goalkeeping game? <laughs> well, it helps that he was a goalkeeper, so 100%. he's just as crazy as me, if not even crazier. You you know him? Yeah, I mean it's a pretty hard question to ask Alyssa because. Uh, She's got to say positive things. He's going to be... Yeah, he'll, he'll call me later. He'll call her later and have a crack. No. Yeah. So from, from, from one crazy goalkeeper to another, is he encouraging you to dial up the crazy or, or dial down? Definitely up. He definitely wants more from yeah. me, which is good. More Crikey. more crazy. More, more leadership from the back, more shouting yeah, at your defenders yeah. to get in position, that definitely, kind of thing? For sure. It's good. It's good. I haven't had a a, a coach that's a goalkeeper as well, so he understands... You know how to implement us into the team training, and get like what's mm. best out of me. Even game days, like he can tell me, and I, I trust his opinion as well. So it's good. Chris, so, and so excited to have that connection too now with the development squad, and hopefully, when we announce our W League's um, license and structure and what it's going to look like, I think uh, Mark will be very heavily involved in that, mm. and um, and we'll see. You know the clear connection with Calder, and I think that's going to be what's exciting about this partnership, but also the opportunities for Alyssa and, and some of her fellow teammates. What's that looked like so far, coming into Western United with the development squad on the, on the road, of course, to having an A-League women's team? Uh, how has that experience been? How has it helped you? It's been great. Um, coming into a professional environment, so to speak, um, it's good for the girls to experience that. It's a nice stepping stone to what's mm. to come at the end of the year, I think, instead of being just thrown in the deep end of of the the level of MPL compared to A League women, I think I think it's good for the girls to experience. And you've 
played with a number of players who do play A-League women's in the off-season. So you know what the level is. You know what that's going to take. Where do you see your game improving to, to make that step up? Are you ready? Um, I'm, I think I'm ready, yeah. I think I've been ready for a few years. Haven't had the opportunity, yeah. but everything happens for a reason. Hopefully at the end of this year, it all goes smooth sailing and we get there. Chris, tell me more about the uh, women's development squad and what Western United are trying to achieve here. Well, I was just listening to Alyssa and how good is it to the, the ability for us to give more girls an opportunity to play at the elite mm. level? I mean, you just hear that and, you know, for all the people ever doubting if Western or any other team wants to enter the A-League women's competition, I think giving people like Alyssa and, and her fellow teammates an opportunity is what we do it for. And um, I'm super excited to see these girls get the crack. You know, I've got to meet some of these girls and, and now they're in our development squad. You know, we've had the opportunity to go to Tassie, play in Ballarat with these girls. And I can see that they're ready. And not only they're ready, they're going to embrace this, you know, challenge. And um, with a little bit of experience that will be toppled into this team, I think we're going to have a really good team on our hands and a team that will be very competitive and, I know Alyssa's ready and I know she knows she's mm. ready. We just They just need opportunities. And it's like a lot of young athletes, mm. they just need opportunities to have a go. And, and that's what we're going to do next year. And I can't wait to see our you know, girls run out onto the pitch for the first time. I think we'll all be there and we'll be super excited. Well, without revealing too much, you can only assume that the, the squad that you put out for next season is going to be based on this colder squad that you've been working with. How much will that, I'll ask this both of you, I mean, how much will that continuity help hit the ground running with the program? Well, for me, that was one of the big selling points for um, women's football, A-League women's football, is the ability to have that continuity. We, in the past, you know, not us, but other A-League teams will, you know, take a handful of call the girls and train them for two months and then they send them back to their clubs. Now we have a real opportunity to work with these girls for 12 months. So what that means is hopefully they'll improve the development and then, you know, they'll be listening to a similar voice, playing a similar style, and they'll continue to improve. And that's what we're excited about. So, yeah, we believe the majority of the, the team that will take part in the uh, our inaugural team will come through Calder. But the opportunity is to bring as well talent from other areas. But we will really want to focus on Calder and girls from the Western Melbourne. Uh, Alyssa, Victoria. it must be great for you to, you know, hear someone like Chris talking about these kind of things, you know, someone with... A-League women's ambitions of your own to, to be involved uh, in a club with such a clear commitment to, to getting into that pathway and, and bringing that, you know, core cold aside with them must just be an awesome experience for yeah, yourself. Yeah, it's so great. I think it's it's good for us to have that time to prepare. Um, being involved in some of the A-League women's teams, there's been a, a short period of preparation for the mm. season. So I think having, what, 12 months to prepare will definitely be good when it comes to round one. And as a squad, it must like inspire you all to, to push yourself to that extra level as well in, in training. Yeah, 100%. All the girls are pushing each other. We're pushing ourselves. I think I think it'll be good, yeah. Well, before that happens, you've, of course, got an MPLW season. Yeah. It's pretty fair course. for. Yeah. How are you feeling about this campaign? I mean, you go in as favourites, but that comes with its own pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I think, I think for the last few years, we've had a target on our back and... Um, even for the Nike Cup, we had the same thing. And to be honest, not a lot of people thought we would win, but we, we showed up. and Because you were missing all your best players yeah, and right, so that's forth. Right. And it turns out <laughs> you actually had, actually had some depth there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the season to start going. We've been preparing. A practice game's coming up, and, and yeah, it's going to be good. Excited. Well, the other part of your role here is as an ambassador for the food relief round with, uh, with Food Bank Victoria. 
Uh, tell us what this cause means to you and, and to be representing Coldy United on, on Sunday. Yeah, I think Food Bank is, is such an important charity. Um, hearing about the, the people that go hungry, I, I think everyone deserves to have an adequate access to food. And for me to be able to support that and um, help raise awareness, uh, it means a lot to me. And for anyone that can, I uh, encourage you to donate to Food Bank Victoria. Yeah, and Chris, when we were speaking to, to Matt earlier, one of the big things that he earmarked about why this partnership between Food Bank and Western United works so well is that Western are a club who are not afraid to get their face out and about in the community. And it's something we've spoken about before. I mean, this partnership just seems like a, a really good synergy. How did it all come together? Yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an amazing synergy for our club and, and for Food Bank Victoria because it tears on the heartstrings not only of our, um, I guess, our community in terms of our, our um, fans and members, but also our staff and players. When I go up to one of the players and say, hey, can you help us out with this you know, um, activation with Food Bank? We get four or five hands up straight mm. away. You know, in other times they're all turning their back and going the other way, which is fair enough. But um, that's what's exciting about this because I think we can all relate to the importance of, um, you know, helping people and improve, you know, the, the current statistics about starvation. You know, when I read these statistics, I still can't believe it. You know, you've got 1.2 million children out there that don't have adequate food. I think none of us would believe that that's true. And, and when you read that, you go, how can we help to make a difference? And that's why I think it's a really good partnership for us. And, you know, we're going to do a little everything we can little by little. But as our club grows as well, we'll be able to contribute more and more. And it's super exciting. And as we come out of COVID, I think we'll do a lot more in the schools uh, area and a lot more in the community, which I think um, all parties that are connected to this partnership will appreciate. Without wanting to stereotype, I mean, does this issue resonate even more clearly in the West, given that it is a working class area, you've got new migrants, certain people that are more prone to food insecurity issues in a time like this? Yeah, potentially. Look, I don't know the ins and outs of which areas, but you'd assume that there'd be um, people in the West that are struggling as well. So for us, that's also important to, you know, focus on those areas. But I think it's it's a charity that we want to help, you know, it doesn't matter where the kids are in reality. We want to help the whole the whole state yeah. get out of this problem because I think um, when you read the statistics, it shocks all of us. So I think um, if we can play our little part to help in that journey, I think it's an important one. And just hearing Alyssa speak and um, Ryan Scott and Leah Lacrasse speak about this matter, I think it's um, something that is really important for our club and our DNA. Well, there's an opportunity to have a go at the crossbar at halftime as part of this promotion. Uh, Alessandro Di Marti made it look rather easy on you. He probably media had 15 there. attempts. Oh, I won't say <laughs> no, Take that off, take that off, take that off. No. Um, yeah, he does make a lot of things look easy on the pitch and because uh, he is phenomenal, our captain, and he's quite special. So hopefully someone can do the same thing on Sunday and um, you know, hopefully we can raise a lot of funds also for Food Bank Victoria. Well, Alyssa... Those precision, you know, long kicks are a pretty important part of any goalkeeper's game. Do you have any advice for the the faithful few who have to step up and try and hit the crossbar on Sunday? Oh, just trust yourself. Just, that's it. Just smash it. Just smash it. Psych yourself up. Yeah. It's crazy as possible. Yeah. Perfect. I don't know if you're allowed to wear studs inside the ground as a spectator, Amy, but I find out, I find those halftime things... Almost always do a John Terry and, and almost lose your standing foot. Everyone, everyone holds back never, a little bit. I think that's yeah. why I've never put my name forward. I can't be caught on camera falling over in front of thousands of people. <laughs> can't, I can't afford that PR hit, you know? 
Got to carry his boots with him everywhere he goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Lockie's... Do you want me to go get him? No. Lock, Lockie's actually got the Western United gear on today, so I think he's still waiting for a call-up. Yeah. Just, uh, if I there's just an need injury a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> need to stay on firm on the ground is what I need. For the for the men's first team coming into this game, so it's a big game as well. It's not all about the charity stuff. There's also points on the line and a title challenge to maintain. Yeah, I mean, another three points on the line. I think um, the team's doing really well up to this point, but now it's important about consolidating this and going to the next level. So the next month is really important for us. Um, I think the team's in a really good place mentally, uh, physically as well. I think we've come out of the COVID period and embraced the challenges of COVID. And I think um, a lot of credit should be given to all the football department staff. Um, John Aloisi as a leader, I think has made a, you know, an amazing difference to the club and he's been um, phenomenal for our culture and resetting the club uh, in particular from where we come from, from last season. Alyssa, watching this team, you must be uh, impressed with the defensive discipline on display and, and the goalkeeping as well. Jamie Young absolutely smashing it. So many clean sheets. It's yeah, unbelievable. I know. It's crazy. It's good. It's good for us to look up to that. Yeah. Hopefully lead by example. And any That's little good. tidbits that you've picked up on this season from Jamie Young? He's, he's one that doesn't hold back when he's uh, speaking yeah, to his that, that, that That's probably the most. <laughs> Just that, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you've got some very particular influences around you, like... <laughs> very vocal Jamie Young, Mark Torcaso, a goalkeeper in the past. Like you've, you've definitely got some people encouraging you to, to be as wild to be as, crazy, yeah. as possible. Do you have any idols, goalkeeping idols, in mm. the women's or men's game growing up? Um, Buffon. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's fair enough. He's, He's quite good, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> He's, He's pretty he, good. He's all right. He is all right. <laughs> I mean, but he, he has whole uh, rituals and things. I think he, he wrote a... Uh, uh, owed to the goalposts or something when he retired yeah. for the first time before he came back. Yeah, before and he came back. He's, uh, do you have superstitions and things like that before um, the game? I do, yeah. I have to put my left glove on first and mm. I have to touch the crossbar before the game. Is there any history behind that? Is no. there a reason? Or just, I started just one it thing you decided and I had a really good game. Yeah, and then usually is the way. I just figured I have to do it. It's just to show off the wingspan, really. Yeah, just to course. show the opposition players the they height, can't yeah, trip you. Scare them. <laughs> <laughs> well... Both of you, thank you so much for joining us here in the FNR studio. Have fun on Sunday. Raise money for a good cause. We'll be cheering on West United. And uh, we're going to hear from assistant coach Hayden Fox after the break, who we had a chance to speak to last week. He's got some tales of his playing career to share, including coming up against the likes of Thierry Henry, your beloved Thierry Henry, Lucky. Well, it feels like a long time ago now, but, yeah, still... Old special place in there. Jean Franco Zola playing for Harry Redknapp. Yeah, he holds a less special place in my heart, to be frank with you. Jean <laughs> Franco Zola. So you're going to hear our chat with Hayden Fox on the other side of this break and get to know the assistant coach a little better. He's got some some great stories. So stick around for that here on the Green Room, presented by Simmons. Western United, can they find something here? Big chance, Barisha. He's done it again. Presented by Simmons, it's the Green Room on FNR, Football Nation Radio. For the final time this evening, welcome back to the Green Room here on FNR, Football Nation Radio, presented by Simmons Homes, the great Australian builder. We're going to throw to a chat we did last week now. We had a chance, myself and Nick Hughes, to sit down with Hayden Fox, the assistant coach of Western United, 
and dig into his illustrious playing career. He played for many years in the Premier League under luminary bosses such as uh, Hayden Fox, uh, such as uh, Harry Redknapp. He played with Frank Lampard, Gianfranco Zola against Thierry Henry. Amazing playing history, and we just had to talk to him about it. So uh, let's have a listen to our chat with Hayden Fox. Nick mentioned your, your playing career there, and I have to bring this up uh, because he's one of the great characters in, in world football. Is he played for Harry Redknapp at not one but two clubs. He, he left West Ham and then he took you with him, right? So yeah. tell us a little bit about working with Harry Redknapp and what that experience was like in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah Harry was good. Harry had this uh, unbelievable uh, man management skill. He, he was incredible. He was able to, to bring players that other, other teams didn't want or were wanting to get rid of and able to put together a team that complemented each other. Mm. Um, and he'd often do that. He'd often bring in players and he'd change the team from week to week. wouldn't always be the same team. Even, they, even if players scored two or three goals a week before or you were man in the match the week before, he always put together his team that he, who he thought could win the next, uh, the next game. Um, he was a bubbly character. He's from, obviously, the east of London. Um, he knew his football. He knew his football very well. Um, he, was, he was a pleasure to work for. Um, and, um, you know, as, as it showed, once I, I left uh, the UK, he went on to coach Tottenham in the Champions League. And at one point, he was touted to be the, the England national manager. Um, but, yeah, he, it was always... Many exciting times, funny times, hmm. and don't you worry when you didn't perform or things weren't going quite right. You, he would let you know, um, but in the right way. Is there a particular line of his that that sticks with you to this day? <laughs> Anything that comes to mind that's broadcastable? <laughs> there is one. Tom at Portsmouth. I can't think who we were playing, and um, he was getting interviewed after training. So I think it was the day before a game, and we'd all finished. And there were some younger boys shooting at goal or having some shots or whatever they were doing. And one hit Harry in the back of the head in the middle of the interview. <laughs> and um, he couldn't let it go. It hit him. He kind of looked around. He's thinking, you know, blimey, hell, where, where the hell did that come from? Anyway, so the, 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 the reporter asked him the question again. You could see he was frazzled and he just couldn't let it go. And... He got through halfway through answering the question again and he turned around and he said, who kicked that bloody ball? And uh, someone said, oh, it was so-and-so. He said, yeah, well, now I wonder he's in the effing reserves. <laughs> <laughs> the goal was that way, not at my head. <laughs> no, he was good. He was good, Harry. <laughs> Love it. Um on your your playing career as well, you you spent a little bit of time uh, at Ajax as a as a young player. That was your yeah. uh, your first venture outside of Australia. Obviously, everyone knows the the aura of the the Ajax Academy. How how special was that experience? Yeah, I, I learned a lot of like I, I was very fortunate. I went to the Institute of Sport when I was fifteen, and I learned. Uh, I've gone from you know community football, representative football with Blacktown City, um, to going to some of the best junior coaching in Australia, which was Ron Smith at the IAS, and um, learned a hell of a lot about the game. Um, and then I was very fortunate from there, 
that I got an opportunity to go to train with Ajax of Amsterdam and um, just as a, an experience for, for four weeks and then I didn't think anything of it and then at the end of the four weeks they said have you got an agent and I went no because I was an Australian kid I didn't have an agent I didn't know and they said well <laughs> you might need one we'd like to offer you a deal and we'd like you to stay here and I, I didn't really know what to expect um, I did it tough to be honest I did it tough I decided to stay spent two years there um, great learning great development hell of a football club um, producing a lot of young players um, but I was homesick that's for sure I was homesick uh, the first six months were probably the toughest of my life um, I wanted to go back uh, I wanted to go back to Australia where it was going to be comfortable and easy um, but like anything you you kind of stick at it um, my dad who was kind of like more the the tough one um, and my mum was the softer one in our household when she turned around and told me no you stay you stick it out um, I said okay my mum's been a little bit serious here so I stuck it out and it was one of my um, my best decisions I've ever made because it would have been easy to, to kind of come back and, and have it a little bit easier here. But I stuck it out, and then you learn to cope. And that set me up for my career of being away for 15, 20 years. It's interesting. We talk about young players and, and development, and I guess having this professional league back home where, you know, it is so well run and so professional, it, would it have been easier for you to just pack it in and come home if, if the A-League had been there waiting for you as opposed to a part-time league like the NSL probably. was? Yeah, probably. It would have been easier. Um, it would have been easier, but that's not what I wanted. That's not what I was dreaming of. You know, my dream was that I wanted to be a professional footballer in Europe. Um, so I had to keep reminding me that's where I wanted to be. I was I was fortunate enough that I had played other professional Australian players in Europe at the time and they'll help me go through this little period because they would have experienced that when they were younger and when they were first their first time away um, so you're right it would have been easier but um, yeah during that period uh, I kind of uh, I, I put in my mind that uh, I was staying there and you know mm. if, if it wasn't going to work out then well you know it wasn't from not not putting the effort in and not, not from trying. Absolutely. What are some of your, excuse me, some of your best experiences of, of those years overseas playing? I'm sure you would have rubbed shoulders with some incredible players. You obviously mentioned Harry Redknapp as a, a fantastic manager that you worked under. Yeah, give us give us a few, um, yeah, uh, uh, the, the most special memories. Oh, some, some great memories, like... Um... There's some great memories and there's some, you know, and some really, really sad memories, um, which goes along with football. You know, I was I was fortunate to get promoted with Portsmouth and to see the, 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 elation, yeah, the just the smiles and the elation of people's, people's faces in in that small, small town of Portsmouth or small city of Portsmouth, that meant the world to them. You know, um, and then yeah, unfortunately I got relegated with Leeds. And, um, you know, to see on their faces what it meant to them and, you know, the agony that they were dealing with, you, you know, you don't, you don't realise the actual 
how how much the fans really really you know are embedded with you you know in in the football club because you you know as a player and there's not many players that stay at one club for a long period of time and players come and go um, but the fans and the people involved at the club are there for a lifetime so the emotions of both high and low you know they, they stick with you um, meeting lots of good people you know lots of good people that are still in contact with today and if I needed help with anything uh, they needed help then you know you'd, you'd give an arm for them and, and help them reach out um, learning about different cultures you know, I know I know in Australia here we're very multicultural I, I know that but to actually go and live in in various different countries with different cultures you know you learn to accept and you understand how people are thinking um, so there's been some great great experiences um, we got to the Emperor's Cup final with the late Eddie Thompson I played with Tony Popovich and Tony Vidmar Arulio uh, Vidmar um, the club had never had any success so that, that was a big big event for uh, for Sam Fretchay and then representing Australia and going to the Olympic Games they were always you know very fond memories definitely playing with playing for your country green and gold um, always always was close to my heart well, I always like to ask central defenders who've had illustrious careers such as yourself is there anyone who stands out as a direct opponent that you had the toughest time marking oh. It's a tough question to put you on the it's spot. It's tough because there's a, there's a lot of different ones for different reasons with different playing styles. Yeah. So, you know, um, Thierry Henry, during his period when the Arsenal were invincible, he was virtually invincible, mm. you know. And we and used to think, I'll be honest, used to think, oh, I'll just go and kick him. But you think about it. When he was a young boy, he came to Arsenal. He was up against Steve Bold, Tony Adams, Martin Keown. Yeah. So he would have been getting belted every day at training. <laughs> <laughs> so you couldn't do that. And you couldn't get near him to belt him. So uh, he, he just used to glide across across the park. He was he was phenomenal. Um, Zola. Zola was, uh, he was a talent. Because he, he could change direction very quickly. So you think you got him, he'd have his back, back to goal and you think no problem he's going back towards his own goal and all of a sudden he just one movement left right or right left and he's on the other side of you you know he had that ability and uh and then there was then big duncan ferguson who you knew you were up for you were in for a game oh, <laughs> he'd, he'd almost growl at you <laughs> I don't think people need to have seen Duncan Ferguson play. They just need to see him on the sideline now with Everton. You know exactly what he's like. You know? <laughs> yeah, but he was a good player. He was a good striker. Yeah. I know he was tough. He was hard, but he was a good. He used to get himself in the great positions. He was intelligent um, and lethal in the box. By the same token, are there any teammates that that jump out as as any that you? Love playing with in particular. I'm not sure if, um, you know, paths might across the West Ham with Frank Lampard, for example, yeah. any of those young players that you they thought, uh, yeah? Well, yeah, they were. We, we, Paolo De Canio, we, we I played with him for two years um, and he was, a, he was unbelievable. He was so eccentric. He was a bit crazy, <laughs> but, you know, he had so much ability. Um, and he was, you know... You know, he, he come with everything, you know. So he brought his own fitness staff, his own masseur. He'd have his own special nutrition diet and he's trying to tell everyone this, that, the other. But, you know, 
Um, and that, that was in the English days and everyone would be drinking and he'd be going crazy. Why are you going to drink? But he'd be there, you know, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. You know, that was, <laughs> that was, that was Paolo. Um, so, yeah, and then I tell this story about Frank Lampard and it's so true. So he was a young, young player at West Ham and he was playing regularly. So he was in the Premier League. Um, we were, you know, mid, a mid-table team. Um, one season, I think we, we finished seventh. So we had one of the seasons we finished quite high for, for West Ham. Um, but Frank, so he was in the, he was in the uh, under-21s England team. He was pushing for the, uh, a, a spot in the national team, the full men's. He was playing week in, week out at uh, West Ham. You think most people would be quite satisfied with that. Not Frank. Frank, um, you know, one, two days a week would stay behind and he'd do, he'd do these runs and these sprints because he wanted to get quicker and he wanted to be able to play box to box. He wanted to be able to get on the ball, spray the ball and then be able to get into the opposition box and score goals. Well, so he did this. I remember. I, I remember for the year I was at West Ham, that first year with him, and he'd be doing that twice a week. Boom, 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 boom. Well, he ended up being a Chelsea... Chelsea legend, you know, one of the best players England ever produced and one of the best box-to-box midfielders that played in the Premier League. And he scored goals. And I remember that was his thinking, I need to get the box, I need to get the box. And that just, I, I use him as an example because most players would have been, you know, satisfied of where they were at, you know, and he wanted to get better, he wanted to be better, he wanted to improve and he wanted to really leave a legacy uh, on his style of football. Uh, there was a great clip that went around recently, which was, I think it was Harry Redknapp, who, of course, has got fam- family relation to uh, presenting him at this press conference uh, at West Ham. One of the journalists has a go at Harry and says, why'd you let all these, you know, better midfielders go, you know, and signing Frank, you know, he's overhyped or whatever. And, and he got super defensive and said, no, you know what? I didn't want to say this in front of him, but he is going straight to the very top. And I, I guess Harry Redknapp knew from the word go, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's... Uh... You just know, you know, he had that mentality that uh, he wanted to keep getting better. Um, mm. He came from a very good footballing family, mind you. Um, but, you know, that's only one thing, having the talent, but to have the dedication, the mentality, uh, that's, that's another thing. That, that separates the, the top, top players from the rest. That was assistant coach Hayden Fox talking to us earlier about his glorious career in the Premier League, some of the opponents that he faced and players that he played with. That is the level of experience that he brings to the dugout at Western United. And that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, supporting the show and supporting Food Relief Round. Foodbank.org.au is the place to go to donate. Get on down to Western United versus Western Sydney Wanderers. Sunday kickoff at 6.35 p.m. at Amy Park for a great cause and a great team. And with that, we will sign off on the Green Room here on FNR Football Nation Radio, presented by Simmons Homes. And uh, catch you again next week. Western United, can they find something here? Big chance, Marissa! He's done it again! And it's a goal! Unbelievable! What about this? Dylan Piraeus, his first touch of the game! And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Twice! He's chipped a keeper! Presented by Simmons, it's the Green Room on FNR.
Football Nation Radio.